Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Sturkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Well, happy week after Easter. Good to see half y'all today. And uh, before we get started, it's a joke. Come on, y'all lighten up. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to those that ain't here. You know what I'm saying? So you're cool. Hey, uh, I want to say first, uh, what a great Easter we had last week. And I'm excited this week. You know why? (laughs) He's still alive. Every week, we ought to be just as excited as we are on Easter Sunday because when he rose, he stayed rose. And one day we get to rise with him. And uh, I want to say a special appreciation to Tanner and his uh, audiovisual team for uh, just creating some really cool moments of worship for us and doing some really neat things. And for, for Caleb and his worship team for uh, leading in, us in worship every week. I have a good time all by myself, me and Jesus right there in that little room before I come out of here. And so I just want to tell them thanks. And uh, I want you to tell them thanks too. Let's, uh, let's show our appreciation. <clears throat> So we're in James chapter 2. We're going to get back into this amazing little letter uh, where there's no apologies by James. There's no room for debate by James. No opportunities to raise our hand and question his thoughts. Uh, He just tells us like it is from a perspective that we saw is a right perspective because he realizes who Jesus really is really is. And so to kind of get us to that place, just this week, Kendra and I had gone over to West Knoxville. We were on our way back on the interstate and there was a traffic accident, not a terrible accident, but enough to create uh, some merging. You know, everybody loves to merge. And so we had merged over and, and, and right as I merged over, we'd gone just a little bit. It was, it was almost a standstill. And there was an old man pulled up in a little, little car and he decided he's going to merge. Well, the guy behind me in a big jacked up four before, he's a no merge guy. He's like, not going to happen, catfish, not today on my watch. So he sucked his truck right up behind me. And that old man, he's merging. <laughs> he's merging regardless. He just merged right into the side of that truck. And now they're swapping paint. They're just going down the road, mashed up against each other. And finally, they pulled over, and I saw the whole thing, so I did what any good witness would do. I just kept going because I had some place to be. I had to see the other wreck that everybody was admiring, right? I didn't want to miss that. Maybe bloodshed, you know, the whole thing. And so uh, I'm sitting there thinking, I told Kendra, I said, that could have been avoided. If either one of those two people in that moment would have simply thought to themselves, okay, I would be better served if I just treated them more importantly than myself. And I, I thought about this verse, this thought right here, It's this, if I ask you, where is this found in the Bible? And do unto others as you'd have done to you, be courageous and brave. You'd be scratching your heads like, okay, that's that's gotta be something Jesus said because that's good, okay? That's actually what Rod Stewart said. That's what that is. Rod Stewart said this right before he said, and in my heart, you'll always stay forever young, forever young, forever young. All of us old people even know who Rod Stewart is, okay? Even Rod Stewart thought it was a good idea to do unto others as you would have done unto you. But in fact, it is the golden rule. And the golden rule is actually a paraphrase of the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 and Luke 6. So it is biblical. Now, the, the be brave, that's Old Testament, okay? That's, that's a different thing. That's Joshua. 
But it's a good idea to treat people, value people as more important than ourselves. And quite honestly, if we just simply did that one thing, we could close our Bibles and go home and I wouldn't even have to preach. And don't you amen that? Because we ain't doing that. You know why? Because we don't do that. Because we seldom do we treat each other as more important than ourselves. And so we're going to learn today from the, the no-nonsense, wear your big boy underwear and listen, James. We're going to learn that favoritism, partiality, and prejudice is not for the believer. Point blank. There's no room for it. It's everywhere in the world, but there ain't no room for it in the church, in the brotherhood and sisterhood. Those that are of Jesus that are saved, there's no room for it. Now, what is it we're talking about? Favoritism, by definition, is this. The practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. Partiality is unfair bias in favor of one thing or person compared with another. Prejudice is a value system of determining one group or individual higher than the other based on false criteria. And all three of these are biases that are unbiblical and James is gonna tell us there's no room for it. So here's the question that we're gonna answer today. How do we live in a world of people with so many differences which without treating all the people of the world differently, right? In a world full of differences, how do we not treat people differently? It's a great question. And it's a really hard line to walk because we all come with a degree of bias in our life. We have uh, past experiences. We have past teachings. We've embraced ideas, philosophies, even theologies and doctrines that aren't sound. And so we bring all those in and then based on all of that melting pot of information, then we treat each other like we treat each other. And so James is gonna weigh in about it today. Now, this is written shortly after, just about 30 years after Jesus ascended back to heaven. And he's going he's gonna to speak to first century Christians. This is early church. These are some of the first people that gave their life to Jesus. All right? And here we are in 2022. And, and you're going to see today that God's word is absolutely incredible, how it is a, an eternal, timeless truth. That what he wrote 4,000 years ago is just as true today as it was then. That what he wrote 2,000 years ago is just as true today as it was then. You know why? Because God's word speaks into the flesh, hearts, and lives of people that roam around on this rock spinning, gliding through the sky. And we never change because we have a common enemy whose name is Satan. And his, he uses the world, the flesh, and the devil uh, to create tension in us, to make our life miserable, to keep us from being everything that God would have us to be. And so James is going to talk about that. So, so now listen who, who James was writing to. He's writing into a world of differences and diversity just like it is today. His looked like this. There were racial uh, dissension between Jews and Gentiles. They hated each other. There was wealth uh, separation. There was rich and there was extremely poor. There was political unrest. You had Israel, who was a nation with a Messiah and a king, and you had Rome with a Caesar. Uh, he's writing to a people where uh, some people had no possessions and some had much. Some walked and some would ride a, a horse or a, a cart. Uh, there was diversity of age, young and old. There was a diversity of class. There was slaves. There were free. James is writing to a people of differences, and he's trying to get the point across. Just because everybody's different does not mean we're to treat each other 
differently. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. Aren't you glad we moved past that? <laughs> Let's just go on to chapter 3, what do you say? No, we can't because we're the same. We, we're the, we haven't progressed that much. In fact, today, we decide it's okay to show uh, preferential treatment, to show partiality, to show prejudice based on this criteria, money, success, occupation, education, looks, personality, race, clothing, vehicles, home, politics, church affiliation, jewelry, ink, height, weight, and the list goes on and on and on. James was writing to us when he wrote this timeless letter about 2,000 years ago. And so he's going to help us. Now, on the back of your worship guide, I started this message a few weeks ago before the Easter stuff, and it was called Just Ordinary People. And so this is part two of Just Ordinary People, but I'm going to put a subtitle on this. I'm going to call it Looking Through a New Lens, because the only way you will ever realize that all of us are just ordinary people is if, in fact, we start looking through a new lens. We've got to have, we've got to calibrate the way we view things based on something outside of us. Now, James is going to help us with that. Point number one on the back of your worship guide is this, the power of perspective, the power of perspective. Here's what he says, James 2, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, do not show prejudice if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Man, he ain't messing around. He's not tap dancing around truth. He's not beating around the bush. He says, listen, brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church. The church, not membership church. These, the church are people who are blood bought, who have received the sacrificial grace of Jesus into their life. They've been adopted into God's forever family. These are brothers and sisters. If you're saved today, we are forever brothers and sisters. And that's cool for a lot of us. And so here's what he says, if you are in fact that, saved, brother and sister, he says, do not show prejudice. Now, he's going to qualify that and, and help us understand why it is that we can't show prejudice. He throws a small word in there, but a huge meaning, if, I-F, two letters, but a profoundly important word. He says, if you possess faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. In the Greek, it's our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious one. And so he's going to nail down the fact that regardless of the differences, we're just ordinary people. And when we have a fresh perspective where we look through the lens of the greatness of Jesus, everybody else just gets neutralized and normalized and not quite as impressive as we thought they were. So he says, he says, you cannot show favoritism. Now, now when, what is he talking about getting a fresh view of, of a fresh perspective of Jesus? He says, the glorious Lord Jesus. See, part of the problem is your view of Jesus is skewed, especially pre-Easter. We have a tendency to view Jesus as uh, the one who came to suffer, as the one who came to exercise 100% humility, the one who had no possessions, the one who uh, was shamed, the one who was crucified. And yes, that was Jesus. But James is saying, I'm talking about the new and improved, the updated, 
Jesus. I'm talking about the next generation Jesus. I'm talking about the post-Easter resurrected Jesus. You see, James gets this because James, you'll remember, he launches into this book and he says, I am a doulos. I am a slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I, I shared a bunk bed with Jesus and ate chips with him. I'm his half brother. I mean, I got some creds here. He doesn't do that. He says, man, I'm sold out. I am enslaved to him. Now, James is only writing this because he had a fresh new perspective of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James only got it when he met the resurrected Jesus. He knew the pre-sacrificed, the pre-dead buried Jesus. Now he knows the resurrected Jesus. And he's saying to you and to me, if you want to treat people right, if you want to be everything God wants you to be as a Christian, you've got to get a fresh perspective of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ so that you can stop looking at people through your jaded, fogged up lens that you've been trained to look through probably your whole life. Now don't get me wrong, we live in a world even today where there are some levels of systematic prejudice, but it's nothing like it is in other parts of the world. In fact, you can go to India in India, they have a system called the caste system, C-A-S-T-E, where based on hereditary lifestyle, you are cast or placed into a level of, of uh, social condition or social norm. And, and you can get out of it, but it's not easy. Most people stay in that, in that level of, uh, of, of poverty or success or wealth that they were born into, and you can't hardly move from one level to the next. And it's fixed in time. You see, in our culture, it's different because we have the opportunity to view everybody the same when we get a fresh perspective. There's no room for partiality. There's no room for favoritism. There's no room for prejudice in the family of God, in the bride of Christ. And so the structure is simple. We have this glorious Lord Jesus Christ that lives in us and that we live for. And when we get that right, when we have a fresh glimpse of the glorious Lord Jesus, everything else gets neutralized. So what does it mean, the glorious Lord Jesus? The Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious one. The word glory is an interesting term. In fact, the, the radiance and the glory of God is mentioned 45 times in the New Testament. 17 of the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation speaks of it. The Lord of glory shows up, the idea of God's glory shows up 275 times in the Bible. And here's what it means. Supreme, radiance, holiness, purity, perfection, splendor, beauty, prominence, preeminence, worthiness, and magnificence. When we see Jesus in that light, all of a sudden, the most impressive people that's walking around on this planet just got real ordinary. Amen? And that's how we're supposed to do it. And so it's, when we get Jesus right, it's like having a moment where you're so like mesmerized by the beauty or splendor of something, everything else kind of fades into oblivion. I had a chronic issue with my back for a while, just terrible issue. 
and it hurt all the time. I mean, I was miserable. But occasionally something would happen, either a baby or a grandchild or um, maybe we would go to the beach and I'd be sitting looking at the ocean and all of its vastness or maybe a sunset or a starry sky. And the splendor and magnificence of that other object would kind of take the attention off of my own suffering. A funny one that I used in the early service I told about was I was privileged to marry um, Jeremy and Rachel Cox. And I never will forget it. We were at the church, and Jeremy and I were standing at the front of the altar. And we're just, everything's cool. I mean, we're just hanging out. We're excited. Everybody's happy. And they opened up the door, and there stood Rachel in her wedding gown. And she, she looked beautiful. And Jeremy saw her, and he just, <laughs> he just started crying. I mean, it wasn't like shed a tear. She's beautiful. It was a, <laughs> He was weeping. And I'm like, I'm trying to console him. Hey, bro, she looks good. Yeah, she's beautiful. <laughs> He's crying. The only way that the Lord could get him his focus off of that moment was to throw me under the bus. The Lord saw fit to, for me to introduce Jeremy to be married to Rachel as Jonathan, who was already married. It'd be like a Mormon wedding. And now Jeremy started laughing at me. So I, now I'm the target. I wanted to cry, Okay. Now, the, the point of that is this, when something trumps your own personal image, what you're focused on, when something grabs your attention beyond that, it changes your view, and you need a fresh perspective, and that's what James is saying. We need a fresh view of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He's no longer poor. He's no longer in humility. He's no longer just a carpenter. He's no longer shamed and abused. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the resurrected king of the universe. And when you get a fresh perspective and a fresh view of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ, everything in this world just got neutralized and just got ordinary. And James is saying that's the only way we can view we can look at people differently in the only way we can push through it. Because in the end, Jesus is going to make everything right. Things won't be right on this. You can, things will never be equal in this world. You will never be treated fairly. You, will, you and I will never be treated without some level of favoritism. You know, in school when you're growing up, anybody experience favoritism when you're in school, maybe by a coach or a teacher? Anybody other than me? You know, me, just me. Okay, fine. It's just me liars. Now, I remember in the first and kindergarten, first and second grade, I have a brother 14 months older than me, and he, he was like perfect. He was smart, did great in school, did what the teacher said, and then there's me. And so they didn't like me because I wasn't like him. And so for kindergarten, first and second grade, they showed favoritism on everybody but me. That's what it felt like. But third grade came, Miss Higdon. Miss Higdon saw me special. All of a sudden, every day, she's calling me, but before school would start, Miss Higdon's calling me in front of the class to have an egg toss. <laughs> yeah. Miss Higdon's calling me in front of the class to, to play the games with, to demonstrate to everybody else. Smoked them all. She loved me so, I'm not making this up. She favored me so much in the third grade when I got ready to move to fourth grade, I showed up for fourth grade. Guess what she did? She moved to fourth grade. Now, I was, on, I was both the receiving end of favoritism and I was on the suffering end of favoritism because there's only one problem with leaving fourth grade. Now I'm back to them people didn't like me anymore. Fifth grade. Ugh. Ugh. 
Now, I'm telling you that. We've all experienced some of that, and I'm telling you, you'll experience more of it because we live in a world that's, that's, uh, that's pressurized and politicized, and, 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 and people are sensitized, and we walk around with our feelings on our shoulders just wishing somebody would knock them off just so we can be offended, okay? And I'm telling you right now, we got to get over that. We've got to treat people like we want to be treated and stop looking for reasons to feel like we've been mistreated. Because when we have a fresh perspective of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who want to show favoritism, all of a sudden, they don't matter. And when we experience the suffering of being prejudiced against, all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, we know he's going to make it right. In fact, Matthew 19, Jesus said, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on thrones. And everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Many who are first will be last and the last first in the end Jesus is going to balance the books but we've got to have a fresh perspective of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ the power of perspective number two is the problem of preference the problem of preference James goes on in verse two he says for if someone comes into your assembly wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor person enters in filthy clothes do you, here's the pop quiz, do you pay attention to the one who's finally dressed and say, hey, you sit here in this good place, and to the poor person, yeah, you stand over there or sit on the floor. Pop quiz to every Christian, to every brother and sister, to the church as a whole, to the pastor. The pop quiz is this. James says, I'm going to paint a scenario for you, and I want you to answer a simple question. He says, first of all, I'm going to send two guests into your presence as an individual or even as the church. First, I'm going to send a guy. I'm going to call him Mr. Rich. Mr. Rich is going to show up blinging. You know what I'm saying? He says he's got a gold ring. When you look this up in the Greek, he, he's not wearing a simple wedding band. He's blinging. All right? It's, it's, it's actually called gold-fingered. And in that day, to impress people, if you were going to synagogue or if you were going to a political event or some fancy event, you could go to the jewelry store and they would actually rent you rings. And so you'd be putting your rings on, you rolling into town, driving your G-Class Mercedes SUV, rings on every finger, GQ and in style. He says, got the fancy clothes, he's got rings on every finger. Now this guy just showed up into your presence. His name's Mr. Rich. At the, at the same time, somebody else shows up at the exact same time. I'm going to call him Mr. Nasty. Mr. Nasty says he's filthy. He's filthy, meaning he's probably hasn't had a shower. His clothes are, are tattered or dirty and, and maybe putting off an odor. And, and he didn't show up in a G-Class Mercedes. He's driving a $400 sled, maybe a 1985 LTD. Yeah, that'd be a good one with a half vinyl top. Who came up with that? Can't afford the whole vinyl top. You get the half, okay? Now, all of a sudden, they just rolled up into your presence. He says, pop quiz, are you going to treat them differently? That's a good question, isn't it? I'm a greeter. I love greeting people. I hope I greeted you this morning. I hope you saw me out there. When you leave, I'm going to try to get out there and greet you, exit, exit greet you. I want to say thank you. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad when you get here. I'm glad when you leave. I'm glad. I'm just glad you came to church, okay? So it went over some of y'all's heads. Uh, 
I'm glad you came to church, okay? I greet people. And it talking to the preacher, what, what if those two guys, Mr. Rich and Mr. Nasty, showed up? I'm standing out there. Which one am I going to reach out to? Let's get real. Let's say in church today, Mr. Rich sat on one side of you, Mr. Nasty on the other. And then the preacher said, I'm so glad you're here. I want you to look to the person next to you and tell them you look good. I'm glad you're at church today. Which side are you going to? Are you going to Rick Barnes? Uh, Halloran Hilton Hill, Mr. Rich over here, or are you looking to Brandon, the guy that Clark and I met over at the jail the other day when we got to speak at their graduation, who said he wants to come here when he gets out, and he's got one set of clothes, or maybe at 11B on Monday or Tuesday, the lady in the wheelchair that we fed, maybe she rolls up. Are we going to show favoritism? That's a good question, and the truth is, yes, we will. We may not go to the rich person. We may feel impressed and convicted and convinced by the Holy Spirit to go to the one that's maybe on the nasty side. But in our heart, we're missing an opportunity with Mr. Rich. You see, it's so real how we do it. Now, he goes on and he says, do you pay attention and you, do you seat them in a particular place? Now, why is James going to talk about seating? Because seating is real. Because since time began, at some point in the day, at some point in somebody's life, you know what they're going to do? They're going to sit down. And there ain't nobody likes a bad seat. Everybody wants a good seat. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. Doesn't matter if you're tall or short, wide or narrow. Doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. None of that matters. Everybody wants a good seat at the show. And James is going to say, when they come into your church, are you going to treat them differently? Now, seating is a funny thing. It segregates people. If, if, if you go to a football game, uh, you pay more for the 50-yard line. If you go to a concert, you pay more for the up-close-and-personal seats. If you go to any venue, uh, any venue like that, you, you pay more to, to be treated with honor and to be closer to the show. Well, it's the same in the church. It certainly was in the days of, of that James was writing this. Because in the synagogue, they actually separated men and women with a curtain. And then when men came in, they would go to the men's section. And based on how they looked, how impressive they were, they would bring them to the front. And everybody wants a good seat, even in the church. Everybody wants a good seat. I'm guessing in the church... The greater seats are in the two flank sections toward the back. If we put a scale in this room, the largest amount of weight would be in the back on the sides because I guess the sound is better, the view is better, or maybe it's a quick getaway so you can beat the Methodist church over to the uh, restaurant. I don't know. But there's preference. We all, and nobody wants a bad, a bad seat, and yet every situation has a bad seat. If you go to a high school ball game, sit on the bleachers, they're all bad seats. All, but not a, not a good seat. All bad seats. Maybe the view's different. You go to Neyland Stadium, they're all bad seats unless you are rich and you're up in a skybox. You're packed in there like sardines. The guy behind you dumps, dumps his beer on you. Two, two down, the guy sh should be the head coach because he's got all the answers plus some expletives to go with it. Okay? They're all bad seats. And the worst, the worst, get on an airplane. 
If you don't know that there's bad seats and good seats, get on any airplane, commercial airline, and walk by the frou-frou first-class section. And if you fly first-class, I don't even like you. Because every time I get on there, you're looking at me like, Mr. Nasty, get on back in the coach department. This is for the rich folks. All spread out, drinking the drink, eating something, you know, not us. Can't even get a bag of peanuts anymore unless you pay for them, all right? Not only that, you get back there, and on the right side, on the left side, they got two on the seats, and on the right side, they got three seats. You want to know there's a bad seat? Fail to get an aisle or a window. An aisle seat so you can get a, for a quick getaway. A window seat so you can just look out the window and wish you could jump out. But if you get in the middle seat, I'm a little bit claustrophobic. I'm about six one and a half, six two. I weigh two hundred and too many. And inevitably, I'm in the middle seat with two 300-pounders. And a 300-pounder on an airplane never gets comfortable. They're like a cat the whole time. Big meaty arm comes over in my seat. And if that's not bad enough, the woman in front of me decides, I guess, to get her teeth clean because she goes in full recline mode. Now she's in my lap. And somebody brought a four-year-old who's climbing over the seat just to see what I'm doing in my seat. And I'm convinced, had I not gotten saved, my eternal destiny would be a place called hell where I would spend eternity in the middle seat. <laughs> now, here's the point of that. Everybody likes a good seat. And James is saying, treat everybody the same. Regardless of who they are or what they look like, just treat everybody the same and this world would be a different world. And James just happens to use seating as the tool to drive home the point that all of us inside, we have some very common similarities, some, some desires that are across the board the same, regardless of the litmus that we judge each other by in this world. Deep within us, we are a human being who have common desires and goals in our life, and one of them is just simply to get a good seat so just give everybody a good seat in your life. That's good. Just give everybody a good seat in your life. Now, let me be very clear. Let me, let me highlight something. Notice, notice, bold font. James is not condemning Mr. Rich for wearing gold rings. James is not condemning Mr. Rich because he's got a cool light blue jacket on. Uh, James is not condemning Mr. Rich, and nor is he, uh, is he giving special honor to Mr. Nasty. He's saying it, God doesn't look at people like that. He looks at people as people, and he loves them enough to die for them. And when we have a fresh perspective of that God, that's how we start treating each other. So the power of perspective, the problem of preference. Now, number three, the priority of the poor, the priority of the poor. He says in verse four, if so, if you've done that, if you've treated people like that, you have not made distinctions among, have you not made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, do not, did not God choose the poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. 
Are not the rich oppressing you and dragging you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the good name of the one you belong to? James, listen, I'll say it again. James is not a Marxist. James is not a communist. Uh, James is not woke, some silly idea where everything's broken. Let's burn it to the ground and write it all new based on some critical theory. James is not that guy. James is saying, listen, God has a better plan. And he demonstrated it by dying on a cross for rich and poor, by reaching to the poor to raise them up. Did you know that most of the people who have ever followed Jesus, most are poor? Why is that? Because rich people have a tendency to become self-sufficient. I don't really need God because I got everything I need. Meanwhile, somebody who's impoverished, somebody who's sick or hurting or, or mistreated, they feel like they need God more. And so Jesus then comes into the world not because he loved the poor more than the rich. Jesus came because he knew the poor would receive him quicker than the rich. I, I have rich people. I have people who are of, of wealth in my life. They're some of the most encouraging people I know. All right? James is not saying... Rich people bad, poor people good. James is saying all people in God's eyes are image bearers, treat everybody the same. That's what James is driving home. And so later in the next chapter, James will actually refer to Abraham and Job, two of the most righteous men who ever walked on the planet, and arguably two of the wealthiest men who ever walked on the planet. And James, it, it lifts them up. And so God knows that the human flesh tendency is to honor the rich and to dishonor the poor. God knows that in this world, millions and millions of people have died at the hands of rich people who weren't satisfied with their own wealth, but they were in, in consumed by greed and were pursuing um, more wealth. No doubt in my mind, Russia invading Ukraine is a political military move but it's it's also about greed it's also about possessions and wealth and and so James is saying God knows this is true and when we start judging people when we put on a robe and a gavel and we start making assessments of the value of somebody based on what we see without a fresh perspective based on somebody's clothing or based on somebody's vehicle or somebody's home or somebody's uh, uh, size or somebody's appearance or, or whatever. He says, you have placed yourself in the judge's seat and you've become evil. Listen, there's only one judge and it ain't Judge Judy. It's Judge Jesus. In John 5, it says, for not even the Father, God, judges anyone. But he has given all judgment to Jesus, his son. Jesus is the judge, and there's only room for one, and it is not an elected position, and you cannot nominate yourself. Jesus is the judge, and we've got to get past judging each other. So we've got the power of perspective, the problem of preference, and the priority of the poor. Now, just to make sure you understand, James is going to put a a punctuation mark, an exclamation point at the end of his little message. 
He's going to say, in case you didn't get the significance or the magnitude of this problem or why I'm telling you, if you're a brother and sister in Christ, if you are a Christian, there's no room for prejudice. There's no room for partiality. There's no room for favoritism. If, if you think that's just James, if James says, if you think that's just my idea for a better world, then you're confused. This is why there's no room for it in your life. Verse 8, he says, but... If you fulfill the royal law as expressed in this scripture, which says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if you don't want to listen to the word, just listen to Rod Stewart. He said the same thing. He says, you are doing well, verse 9. But, on the other hand, if you show prejudice, you are committing sin. Everybody say sin. Everybody say prejudice is a sin. Everybody say favoritism is a sin. Everybody say partiality is the sin. That's what he said. But I'm going to help you understand why in a minute. He says you're committing a sin and are convicted by the law as violators. Verse 10. For the one who obeys the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. Pause. He says you can, you can obey the whole law, but if you mess up on one little thing, you are guilty as charged. Now, he's going to throw prejudice in the mix with some other sins. He goes on in verse 11. He says, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a violator of the law. Verse 12, speak and act as those who will be judged by a law that gives freedom for judgment is merciless for the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over judgment. James says, you know why I'm telling you? If you're a brother and sister, do not show prejudice. He says, because it is a violation of the holiness of God. It is a sin. Now, what is a sin? A sin in the Greek is an archer's term where you shoot an arrow and you miss the mark. You miss the target. It falls short of the target, right? When we show prejudice, he says it's just like murder. It's just like adultery. It's just like any other sin you want to put on the list. It misses the mark of God's holiness. And when we miss the mark, it's a sin. And we are judged for sin. Don't get me wrong. I am forgiven for my sin. But I, as a child of God, I will be disciplined for my sin. My sin has already been judged on the cross. My judgment was placed upon Jesus and before God in terms of my eternal condition. There is therefore now no condemnation for me. But there's discipline. When I commit a sin, God disciplines me. He instructs me he wants to draw me back and so the reason James can say emphatically that prejudice is a sin is because James knows the heart of God because James knows the Word of God and the Word of God is very clear about how God looks at people God doesn't choose select or pick people based on their wealth or their beauty or the things that we, the criteria that we value people by. Jesus is above that. Jesus is not impressed with our 401k. 
He's certainly not impressed with ours now after the last three months. He's not impressed with the clothes we wear. Jesus is not impressed with the car we drive. Jesus is not impressed with the amount of money and success we have. Jesus is not impressed with our degrees. Jesus is not impressed with the things that we often are impressed by. Jesus is Jesus, the glorious Lord. And when he sees you in all you have or all you don't have, he looks right through that and he sees a soul. He sees a human being that he formed and fashioned and created with a purpose and a plan. He sees a prospective image bearer of the triune God in you. Not because of what you do have, not because of what you don't have, but because of who he is. Ooh, that's good. That's good. I'm so glad that God didn't look at me like my first and second grade teacher did. I'm glad God didn't look at me like my third and fourth grade teacher did. God looks at me like he looks at you through the eyes of absolute, untarnished love and commitment. How do I know? Even with the nation of Israel, why did he look at this globe that he whispered into existence? Why did he look, is it spinning around? Why did he, did he throw a dart at his globe and, oh, I'm going to choose Israel to introduce myself to the world through? No. He was selective. Why? Was it because they were prominent and powerful and wealthy? Deuteronomy 7, 7 says, It is not Israel because you were more numerous than all other peoples and that the Lord favored and chose you, for in fact, you were the least numerous of all peoples. If you look at a map, you'll see the nation of Israel as a little postage stamp surrounded by haters and yet they've always survived why because God picked them because not because of their greatness but because of their smallness because of their weakness because they were the underdog that's what God does first Corinthians 1 27 says God chose what the world thinks is foolish to shame the wise God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing to set aside what is regarded as something so that no one can boast in his glorious presence. Job 34, 19, God who shows no partiality or to princes and does not take note of the rich more than the poor because all of them are the work of his hands. Acts 10 I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism in dealing with people. Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God who is unbiased and takes no bribe. God is not impressed with everything we think we bring to the table. When Jesus, who is the image, who is the flesh God, the incarnate on this earth, 
when he came to this earth, he exemplified God's perspective about people. He did it when he lifted up the widow woman who gave a half a penny as an offering and they made fun of her. And she said, Jesus said, she gave more than the rest of you all. She gave all she had. Jesus exemplified a no bias, no prejudice, no favoritism, no partiality idea when, with the woman at, at Samaria, with Zacchaeus, with the little boy with a lunchbox, with the woman who had a box of perfume, with the leopard and the demoniac and the disciples and on and on and on. We've got to get to a place where we look through a new lens. Here's why. Let's just say today, here in just a little bit, service is over and you go to lunch and let's say maybe you land at McAllister's and at McAllister's they give you a number you give them 50 bucks and they give you a little plastic thing with a number on it okay it's a win you go back to your table waiting for your number to be satisfied and while you're sitting at your table there's a guy sitting there beside you by himself and he's got a number on his table and you just thought well the preacher just preached from James that we're supposed to, you know, treat each other like we'd like to be treated. So you think I'm going to be nice to the guy. Now, he looks a little sketchy. He's a little bit unkept. He's a little dirty. He's got a beard, got, got long hair. And, but, you, but, you know, this is my test right here. So you say, hey, excuse me there, young man. Let's just say he's about 30 years old. And he says, excuse me, young man, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing good. How are you? Doing good, doing good. We just got out of church. Oh, that's good. That's good. I uh, haven't seen you in here. Uh, you knew? No, I've been around a long time. I, I just hadn't come in here very much lately. He says, oh, okay, what do you do for a living? I, I, don't, I just kind of walk around talking to people. That's, that's what you do for a living? Yeah, yeah that's, I, just, I just like talking to people, walking around talking to people. Um, do you, uh, so you don't officially have a job? Yeah, walking around talking to people is what I do. Where do you live? I don't, I don't have a home. I, I like to camp. I just camp. Well, where do you camp? I just camp wherever. I finish my day. I just kind of find me a place, and that's where I camp. Uh, so you're going to be around here long? Uh, it's yet to be determined how long I'll be here. So you're, are you homeless? Yeah, I'm kind of homeless. What's your name? Jesus. You see, that's what he would look like. And if we're not careful... We don't know who we're entertaining. See, the Bible says that we entertain angels unaware. God sends people into our life who are angels that we don't know are in our presence just to run a test by us to see how we're going to treat each other. Now, I just want to tell you this this morning. If just the people who say they are Jesus followers... Just the people who are really if, that are really saved, if we would start treating people like God says to treat people, without prejudice, favoritism, and bias, the world would begin to change. But we've bought the lie. We've bought the lie that there's good people and bad people, better people, worse people. And we bought the lie that as Christians, we're better people. <laughs> We have a better future, but we're not better people. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second as we finish. This whole passage about treating people equally hinges on one thing. 
if we have seen the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today and you have a religion, you have some kind of faith, but you've never really had an encounter personally with the glorious, resurrected, forever King of the universe, Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe this is your day. If the Holy Spirit maybe is convicting your heart, inviting you into his forever family, maybe today you'd be willing to say, I didn't really come here for that, but all of a sudden I'm glad that I did because I think he's inviting me out of me into him. So what do you do with that? You simply surrender to that. You say, God, thank you for the invitation on my heart. Thank you for inviting me out of who I am into who you are. Thank you for offering me what I could not gain myself, peace and forgiveness and hope. I want Jesus to come into my life today to save me from the inside out. I receive your grace gift into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Help me live for you in light of an encounter with the glorious Lord Jesus Christ from this day for all of eternity. And for others, maybe this is the day that we say, wow, I am a brother and sister. I am a believer. And I have not been living like it. So from this day forward, Father, help me have a fresh perspective where I see everybody you put in my circle through a new lens, and that lens is your glory. Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for those that have gathered. I thank you for the word of, of James to us. I thank you, God, that you would choose to keep loving us just because you are love. And in this moment, God, I'm thankful that in your economy, there's only one favoritism that is allowed. And we read it in Philippians 2, 3. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each one of us should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than ourself. Father, thank you for everything. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.